haven't met you yet. My name is Tyler. I'm one of uh, three pastors on staff. Hope you all had a good Christmas and a restful week between now and then, um, even if you did have to work or run errands or host people that you maybe didn't want to host. Uh, my wife and I, we really enjoyed our Christmas. We went down to Indiana. My um, wife's family's from there. And it's usually genuinely a very restful time, a very restful atmosphere. And it was for the most part, but also as uh, kind of new parents to a two-year-old, we're learning that there's really no like true rest when you have a two-year-old. So in some ways we came back more tired than we left, but we were glad to be there. Um, speaking of, of kids as well, you might notice that uh, we have a lot of kids around today. Uh, once every like four to eight weeks or so, we do what we call a family worship Sunday. Um, and you might think that it's uh, strategically placed just to be when uh, we probably won't have enough volunteers. Uh, the strategy, uh, the planning of it, when it's gonna be is intentional, but that is not the reason why we do family worship Sundays. Uh, we do family worship Sundays because we think there is value and benefit um, for both the kids and the adults when they're in the same room worshiping. The um, kids can see the adults, see their parents, see the friends of their parents worshiping and kind of take that in and see what it looks like. Um, and then the adults can be reminded that yes, we uh, are raising up the next generation um, and we want to pour into them and we want to model to them what it looks like to worship God together as a family. And so um, we ask that you, you, know, you bear with us as you probably hear uh, some extra cries, some extra screams, some kids running around, some things like that and pray I don't get too distracted. Um, so uh, yeah, glad you guys are here. Um, today, maybe more than any other day of the year is, is the turning of a page, right? The, the, the ending of one chapter and uh, the beginning of a new one. I'm sure many of us in the room, uh, we have like the resolutions or the goals or uh, kind of things we wanna grow in and improve in uh, this next year laid out, right? And if you're like most people, that'll be good for maybe two to three months. Uh, I've never been a resolutions guy myself. I always kind of felt like, if it works for you, great, but I always kind of felt like I was setting myself up to fail. Right, I'd be like, okay, this year I'm gonna uh, work out four days a week. And then I'm three weeks in and I don't work out four days a week. Well, then I've already failed on my resolution. Right, I, I, if, if I was to set a resolution, I'd make it really undefined. Pro tip, that's a really cheap way to win. I'd say, I wanna work out more. What does more mean? Depends how I feel that morning. Uh, 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 I was always more of like a word guy, if you've ever heard of that concept. Um, I was kind of introduced to that in college, my, my college pastor in college church um, had this idea of a word for the year. And, and the, the pastor of that church actually wrote a book about it called My One Word. Um, and so what I mean by that is that I would prayerfully consider one area, one word, kind of one thing uh, that I think God wants me to grow in that year, whether it's contentment, prayer, giving, peace, uh, take your pick, joy. Um, and I would memorize a Bible verse that went along with that. Uh, and then the people that were really into it would kind of get like a little token, like a piece of jewelry or a screensaver for the year and always keep it on them. So they're always reminded of their word. Um, and, and the goal was kind of like progress and growth, not fulfillment. So um, I'm gonna do that again this year. If you'd like to join me in that, come talk to me about it. We can kind of hold each other accountable to our words. Um, but with all these things, resolutions, goals, words, when you get to the root of it, when you kind of get to the bottom of what's functioning underneath it all, one thing that's consistent in them all is the desire to be happy. Happiness. Not in the sense that like all the resolutions you make are solely so you are happy, right? Like maybe you want to lose weight and the goals behind that are actually so that you can live longer, so you can um, physically do more things. Uh, but a goal that runs parallel with that, that's a byproduct of that is happiness, right? Like you don't make that resolution just to be happy, but that's part of it. And uh, like if one of your goals, if at the end of it was sorrow, despair, and pain, 
Like, that probably wouldn't be a goal of yours, right? Like, happiness is one of many things at the end of our goals that make it that much more enticing and desirable and something we want to pursue. Like, we all want to be happy or happier people. And you don't have to be super spiritual to believe that. You don't have to be religious to believe that. Christians and non-Christians alike would agree with that statement. So today, we're going to talk about happiness, what it means to be happy. And a quick practice for all of us to participate in as we kind of dive in. I want us to just close our eyes. This will only take five seconds. Close your eyes, take a deep breath. Keep your eyes closed. And in your mind, picture Jesus. Picture our Lord and Savior, Jesus. Take a little mental screenshot. Can I open your eyes? Now by raise of hands, raise your hand if you picture Jesus as smiling with a big smile. More than I thought, but most of the room did not. Maybe a third of the room. Just a general observation uh, I've seen in my life and in the life of, of Christians around me is that we often separate the idea of happiness from our faith. Like Christian circles, in Christian circles, sometimes throwing out the line, God wants you to be happy, we would almost consider that like heretical at first glance. Right, and maybe in certain situations it is, but not always. And, and at a point in time where the prosperity gospel, which is this idea that God saves you just because he wants you to be happy, healthy, and wealthy is kind of pervasive. I think biblical Christians have tried to counter that by going the opposite direction. By saying that God doesn't actually care about your happiness at all. And instead of teaching people how to be happy in the middle of hard times of sorrow, of despair, we just say he doesn't care about that. Which I hope by the end of our time together, you'll see that's actually wrong. That's actually not true. So just one tiny short verse for today. Um, I'm gonna read it and we're gonna kind of take the, uh, the idea from that and talk about it. One kind of verse, one kind of idea that encapsulates this as we head into 2024. <clears throat> it's in Philippians, who Paul, uh, who wrote Philippians, if you didn't know, um, he wrote these words while he was in prison. Um, and he was a man that went through a lot of suffering in his life. And so these words kind of have a lot of extra weight to them when you keep that in mind. But Philippians 4.4, just one verse. Rejoice, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So three ways to be happy in 2024. Three kind of things to focus on. First, your happiness. Second, God's happiness. And third, it's not up there, but third, some practical tips and tricks. First, understanding your happiness, what it isn't, what it is, and what the Bible has to say about it. Second, God's happiness. God, maybe to your surprise, is the happiest, most joyful being that has ever existed. And contrary to what religion might say about him, the God of the Bible actually radiates joy and the person of Jesus radiates joy. And third, again, it's not up there for practical tips and tricks on how to be happy, sneak peek, uh, drink good coffee and eat good food. Kind of, um, stop drinking K-cups, stop it, stop it. That's kind of funny, total side note. Um, I uh, said we went to Indiana this year, I drove because uh, we brought the dog with us. If anyone's sticking around next Christmas and wants to watch a dog, hit me up. Uh, but I was just kind of had a lot of time, obviously, to think, to pray, listen to podcasts, listen to music, uh, make some phone calls. And I was thinking about like, what, what do I want to preach about? What should we hear about um, today? And it was kind of funny. I didn't do this on purpose at all, but I stumbled, literally stumbled upon two sermons, um, one by John Mark Comer, one by Tim Keller, both on happiness. And so uh, credit to both of them. Those sermons helped me out greatly and kind of influenced a lot of the direction we're going um, but after listening to those back to back, I was just kind of like, huh, that's interesting. And 
Um, I kid you not, like as these sermons are ending, I cross over to the Pennsylvania state line and their state motto is pursue your happiness, which we don't, don't do that. But like the, the idea of happiness was there, right? And then I get to Indiana um, and the first day I'm there, we go visit my wife's 93, four, five-year-old grandmother who's mentally entirely there. She's physically sharp as well. She's, she can move around still. That sounded kind of weird. Uh, and she has on her whiteboard, she has this phrase written there that happiness is a choice. So I was like, okay, well, all right, Lord, I guess we're talking about happiness. So uh, first, our happiness, what it isn't, what it is, and what scripture says about it. <clears throat> Most Christians and many of us in this room, maybe that aren't Christian, would say that happiness is not actually the ultimate goal in life. Like it is not the ultimate aim, the ultimate thing, the most important thing. And, and we would agree with this. We would think this is true. But one of the things I've heard over the years and, and one of the things that I've actually said at certain points in time, I've even used as I've counseled people that I, I kind of regret saying this now is this idea that God doesn't promise happiness. He promises joy. Or that God, maybe if you grew up in youth group, you kind of heard this phrase, God doesn't want you to be happy. He wants you to be holy. Okay, no one. Or something like that, right? But I think as, as, as we think about this and as we read the scriptures, I don't think those statements or that idea is true. I don't even think it's biblical. And now the rest of the sermon will kind of hopefully qualify those statements and, and prove this to you. But um, a little bit more of what I mean, just quite simply, when you think of a, a really joyful person, what's like the main ingredient? Or one of the main ingredients, it's happiness. Or look up almost any definition of joy. It includes the word happiness, a feeling of great happiness, a deep condition of happiness, a state of happiness. And most importantly, scripture itself doesn't denote a difference between these two words. There are hundreds of verses. In fact, over 300 verses where these two words are used in the same sentence and they're used interchangeably. They mean the same thing. And there are countless instances where the verse has the Greek and Hebrew words for joy and happiness are used in the same way, interchanged. Johnny Erickson Tata, she, she wrote a, a really good book called Practicing the Presence of Jesus that I'm reading right now. She has a really cool story um, that involves a lot of suffering, but really interweaves beautifully joy and happiness. Talking about this idea, she says, scripture uses the terms joy and happiness interchangeably, along with words like delight, gladness, and blessed. There is no scale of relative spiritual values applied to any of these. In other words, it doesn't, in the Bible, in, in the language of scripture, it doesn't go uh, contentment, gladness, happiness, joy at the top. It doesn't work like that. Or John Piper hits kind of this Christian culture idea a little bit harder when he says, if you have nice little categories for joy is what Christians have and happiness is what the world has, you can scrap those when you go to the Bible because the Bible is indiscriminate in its uses of the language of happiness and joy and contentment and satisfaction. And so for, it's easy for us, right, in the realm of religion and rules and, and worldviews to kind of lose sight of the fact or not even know that, that the scriptures are actually full of these two things, that the scriptures are full of, of joy and happiness, right? And, and more than that, scripture at various points doesn't just say, hey, you you should be happy. You should try to be happy. You should do this or do that. It actually commands it. Like the verse we just read, Philippians 4, look what Paul says again. It says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. That's a command. 
right? That's something God doesn't just want us to do, but he's telling us to do it. In the same way he commands us to do other things, in the same way he commands us to love our neighbor, in the same way he commands us to be generous. And so how many of us think about growing in happiness is actually part of our sanctification process? How many of us think of becoming a happier person as part of growing in godliness? Like for me, at least, when I think about my obedience to God and my walk with the Lord and uh, my trying to be more like Jesus, I, I, I don't consider holiness, or sorry, happiness. I do consider holiness. <laughs> oh man, woo. Um, but it's all over the Bible, right? Philippians 4, our passage, rejoice, be happy in the Lord. Psalm 32, be glad, be happy in the Lord. Psalm 68, godly, righteous people will be glad. They will be happy in the Lord. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Let the hearts of those who seek God be happy. There are so many passages beyond this that exhort and command us to be happy. N.T. Wright, he's a, he's a, a Christian author and scholar. He says that we actually owe it to our creator to be as happy as we can be. We owe it to God to be as happy as we can. And to be clear too, like the Bible doesn't paint this kind of command as, as one of the ones you kind of close your fist and you white knuckle your way through. Like you kind of don't want to do it, but you're doing it because God said so. No, it paints this kind of command as one that we kind of step into, enter into and walk in. And so, so far, some of you are tracking with me. I hope. But to just a subset of the room, that's kind of like, yeah, Tyler, I, I hear you. I understand this idea of happiness, but that's really tone deaf right now. Like the idea of me being happy with my life, my circumstances. Like I look at 2024 and there's no way. Like there's, the year hasn't even started yet and there's no way that I can be happy in this next year. I see the things that are facing me. I see the things that are going on in my life right now. But here's what's beautiful about the happiness we see in scripture. Two things I wanna to say to that. First, the happiness we see in scripture is given to us. It's offered to us. And second, it still acknowledges reality. Here's what I mean by that. First, it's given to us. What I mean, it's not something we endlessly pursue. It's not something we grasp for, but don't reach for the rest of our lives. Right, and some of you uh, totally know what I mean. Right, happiness always just seems to be kind of a fingertip away, just a, a, a grasp away. And others of you, you've, you've, made, you've reached and you've gotten that thing or that formula that you think would make you happy, whether it's a house, spouse, a degree, a job, and it's fleeting. But the happiness we see in scripture is offered to us. It's achieved for us. Not ultimately in the form of material provision, but rather in the form of eternal salvation and relationship with God. And because of that, you, Christian, do have something you can always be happy about. In other words, if the unchanging, never-ending, immovable, overcoming eternal God is where you find your happiness, what does that make your happiness? Unchanging, immovable, never-ending, overcoming, and eternal. It's not happiness that's achieved or earned or grasped, but it's given. We talk about the gospel like that, Right, we talk about salvation like that as this free gift, as something that we can't earn, as something that's completely given to us, but then we act like happiness doesn't come with it. 
as it's not something that's included in that, in that gift that's given to us. Pastor Bland just talked about John 15, which we'll get to in a few months. But in that passage, Jesus, he talks about giving his disciples his joy. He says, my joy, I give to you. The joy that Jesus, the joy that God in the flesh has, he gives to you freely. Or look in the book of Isaiah, chapter 52. It's talking about this future gospel. This is years and years, hundreds of years before Jesus is on the scene, before God's people can fully grasp what this gospel, this good news is. You wanna know how how it describes this gospel? It says the good news, which means gospel, the good news of happiness, Isaiah 52, seven. The gospel of happiness. The gospel of Jesus Christ is one of happiness. This happiness is given to us. Now, second, this happiness in God still acknowledges reality. This is especially if you're in that subset that's going through a lot of difficult things. I want you to hear this especially. Happiness in God does not mean the absence of hardships or the absence of sorrow or pain or despair. You can be happy about one thing in life and simultaneously uh, sad about another. What God is not asking you to do is just ignore the chaos and the pain and the things that you are going through and just kind of blindly rejoice in the Lord. No, the joy and happiness he offers you is stronger than that. It's more powerful than that. What he's asking you to do is still look at, still acknowledge, still work through, still process through the pain and suffering in front of you while knowing, while knowing, while grasping onto the truth that you are eternally loved by God. And one day we'll see him face to face and the pain you now feel will be like a vapor. And it's from that, from that, that you can feel, even if it's just an ounce It is from that that you can feel happiness. Not to say that happiness will be the majority thing that you feel in these moments. But feeling an ounce of happiness is always possible when you know and love and are loved by God. Look at what Jesus tells his disciples. John 16, this proves this. Jesus speaking to his disciples says this. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again. And your hearts will rejoice and no one will take your joy from you. Here Jesus is talking to his disciples about the despair, the sadness, the sorrow they will feel when he's crucified and killed. But he tells them not after, long after that, he's going to see them again and they are going to see him and they will feel joy. And did you catch the status, the condition of that joy at the end? The eternality of it, look how he describes it. He describes it as a joy that no one will take away from you. What is the thing that makes their joy so strong, their happiness so strong, so sturdy, so eternal that nothing and no one can come and steal it or snatch it away? the risen Christ. An encounter with and knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior provided them with the only thing in the entire world that could ever make them eternally happy. And so Christian, do you find your happiness and joy thinking about the risen Christ? 
Do you actually believe that never-ending miraculous happiness is offered to you in Jesus? Do you uh, actually believe that the greatest happiness the world has ever known is offered to you in the form of a God-man dying for your sins and rising from the dead? And through that, having a relationship with God. Do you find happiness in this? Do you ponder this frequently? Or do you, like I do and so many of us do, find happiness in your things? Or your performance at work or school? Or your kids or your stuff or your wealth? These are good things. These are things that if we properly uh, see them and look through them to the God that's behind them, we can find happiness in these things because they're rooted in the God that gives them to us. But so often we don't go that far and we stop at the thing itself. What does Paul tell us to do in our verse? Rejoice in what or who? Rejoice in the Lord. This is the happiness that's offered to us. This is the happiness of the Christian. To summarize that first point, our happiness It's a deep state of happiness in God that is commanded yet freely given and still acknowledges reality. This happiness is a deep state of happiness rooted in God that is commanded yet freely given and still acknowledges reality. Now as Christians, anytime God um, commands something of us or tells us to do something um, that we see in scripture, it often really kind of always is something that comes from his character comes from who he is, right? God is love, so we love. God is just, so we seek to do justice. God is giving, so we are generous. God is forgiving, so we ought to forgive. God is happy, so we ought to be happy. And to be clear, he is a happy God. We believe, again, the commands and ethics we see in scripture for us reflect the very nature and being of God. And it ought to be a one-to-one assumption that if we're commanded to be happy, then that must mean that God is happy. Edibu Tozer says, what comes to our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. It then follows suit that what you think about God will affect how you represent God to the world. What you think and believe about God will affect how you represent God to the world. So this might be hard for some of us to hear, uh, but if you believe uh, that God is happy and see him as happy, you're gonna attempt to be happy. If you believe God is holy and hates sin, you're gonna attempt not to sin and you're gonna attempt to grow in holiness. If you believe that God cares about the poor and oppressed, you're gonna go and care about the poor and the oppressed a good heart check for all of us in the room beyond just this idea of happiness. What does the way we live our lives reflect about God? Because that shows what you truly believe about God. Like if someone who wasn't a Christian, didn't believe in the God of the Bible, heard that Christians are supposed to be like the very God they believe in, what would your non-Christian friends think about God? What would your coworkers think about God based on your life? If we want to be happier in 2024, if we want to be happy people, we have to look to God and his happiness. In two ways, God is happy. Sorry, that's my daughter. She's laughing. She's happy. Two ways God is happy. First is in himself. And second is with his people. First himself. 
Um, I, I've read kind of in like the apologetic scene or the, uh, I don't know if you wanna call it anti-God scene, whatever, uh, that, that people think that it's super egotistical for God to be kind of happy or love himself or happy in himself. It may seem egotistical to say that God himself is infinitely happy from the triune relationship he experiences of love and happiness he experiences. But, and follow me here, when you are the origin point of all moral goodness, all joy and all happiness, then it makes complete sense. In other words, if, if God is, in per, is, a, is a perfect being in perfect communion, in perfect harmony, perfect love and perfect happiness within God, the father, God, the son and God, the spirit, it makes sense for him to draw happiness from this and actually isn't egotistic at all because there's nowhere better to draw happiness from. <clears throat> a very imperfect illustration of this. If I own a store called Pizza Stop. I've used Pizza Stop before in illustrations. It's our favorite little local neighborhood pizza sub place. Um, and we make, objectively speaking, the best cheesesteak uh, cheese in the city. And on a particular day, I am craving a fantastic cheesesteak and I own that store. Why would I go anywhere else? Why would I go anywhere else? If it's objectively the best cheesesteak in the city and I own the store. That illustration breaks down pretty quickly, so don't think too deeply about it. But, but you see things like this all the time in the life of Christ, not eating cheesesteaks, but Christ is joyful and happy because of the Father. And the Father is joyful and happy because of the Son. We aren't going to dive into this, uh, but the happiness God experiences in the Trinity, we're supposed to experience with each other. Right? In the Trinity, the love of God is given and received between Father, Son, and Spirit. The happiness of God is given and received between Father, Son, and Spirit. And for us here, the love and happiness of God is supposed to be given and received between each other. So that's the first way we see God being happy is with himself. He delights in himself. The second way we see it is uh, with his people in Christ. We're invited into this triune relationship of love, which all, side note, this, all this, this language of God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Spirit, if that's uh, confusing to you, no, it's confusing to me too still, and it's confusing to everyone in this room, but basically we believe we have one God in three persons. We're invited into this triune relationship of love through the sacrifice of God, the Son, through the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And therefore God's happiness and God's love is on us too as his children in the same way that he is happy with Jesus, in the same way that he loves Jesus. There's something that kind of hits different when you're like catching up with someone. Maybe you haven't talked to a friend in a long time. You're sitting here having coffee and they're talking about their life and whether it's a job or a marriage or like a roommate situation or a living situation and they throw out the phrase, I'm happy. There's something that's reassuring about that. Like I've caught up with old college friends and asked like, how's marriage going? And they're like, you know, I, I'm happy. Like there's something that hits a little bit different. There's something that's a little more comforting. There's something that's a little weighty about that. And we often forget that this is God's disposition towards us in Christ. Happy with us with you because of Jesus. That doesn't mean he wants you to uh, stay the way you are and not grow or not do anything differently. 
But we need to remember that in Christ, God is pleased and happy and delights in us. And he deeply, eternally loves us. And beyond this, if you just look at the life of Jesus, you can see a life of happiness in God. And you can see a life of happiness in others. There's a little book I just started reading called um, The Humor of Christ by Ellen Trueblood. And it's exactly what the title says it is. This idea that, that Jesus, he's actually a, a gleeful, joyful, happy, humorous even man. But like we don't pick up on it with our 21st century kind of eyes and, and style of humor, right? But Jesus was a legit funny dude who employed humor when he told stories, when he talked to people, right? There's humor and happiness and glee all over this man's life. God is a happy God. So as we close, some final thoughts to move just beyond kind of a, that's kind of very roughly speaking, that was like a theology of our happiness, a theology of God's happiness. And now let's talk about practice just a little bit. To be happy in 2024, Hi, Addie. To be happier in 2024, think on, ponder, dwell on joyful things. Philippians 4.8, just down the page from our verse today. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. In other words, to put it plainly, think happy thoughts. Focus on happy things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and worthy of praise. Again, that doesn't mean you just ignore everything else, but you give special attention to these things. Three examples of what that looks like practically. Each example increasing in difficulty because to be honest, being happy can be difficult. Yes, it's freely offered to us, but it can be difficult to step into. Three ways to step into that, to think on, on uh, 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 beautiful, happy things. First one just happened to me the other day. Uh, like I said, we went to Indiana. Um, I was driving home from Indiana. Um, again, because we had the dog. And uh, some of you guys do like me time, like get some me time when you want to rest. I do me calories. And so uh, I stop at the drive-thru, Dairy Queen drive-thru, cheap ice cream. We all love it. Come on. Um, and I get a, a, a Dairy Queen blizzard and like I'm hype. Like, I'm like, ah, oh, the, the perfect podcast song, whatever is going to pair up with this, with this blizzard. And I got it. And I got a, a blizzard that I had never tried before. It was like snickerdoodle cookie dough blizzard. And I took one taste and it was like really disgusting. <laughs> like, I'm just like getting older. I don't know if it's just like too sweet. That I just like can't handle it anymore. I feel like my younger self would have loved that. But I was just like, this, this is too much. This is gross. And I was so disappointed like, if you know me, you know how I get super excited about the small things and like take a lot of joy and happiness in the small things. And so, but that also means the small things can absolutely wreck you. <laughs> Stop laughing. It, it stunk, all right? Like this ice cream was disappointing. On top of that, the song that came on was just really bad too. <laughs> so in that moment, and again, it's increasing in difficulty and this is the lowest level, okay? I'm, I'm well aware. Uh, a worship song came on afterwards that I just chose to worship to. I think it was called Sales by Pat Barrett or something like that. I don't even remember, but it just kind of hit right in that moment. And I was just like, I could sulk about, you know, a bad ice cream or I could worship God. 
Second example, again, increasing in difficulty, okay? Um, years and years and years ago, I was a waiter right after college and wasn't in like a dark night of the soul, but was just like not a great time in my life. I felt like I lacked purpose. Um, I didn't have any good friends around me. I was just kind of living life in a way that I, I didn't plan on living. Um, and uh, on top of that, like just being a waiter, um, it was at a really high-end restaurant. And so the, 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 the customers weren't like the kindest. Um, I, I just kind of really struggled uh, in this season. And um, instead of just kind of, again, sulking in this feeling, I decided to memorize Psalm 23 and I wrote it on the back of my little order pad. And anytime just something would kind of bring me down a little bit, I would flip to that and either say it from memory and read it. And in those moments, I would choose to focus on the things that God promises us in Psalm 23. Or maybe for you in a similar situation, maybe you're a doctor or you're a nurse and you know, some of your uh, patients are just really difficult. They don't value the care and attention and love you're trying to give them. And so in these moments, you need to go and remember what God says about you, how God cares about you, how God values you, how God loves you. Third example, I know some of you in this room are facing this right now. Death, suffering of a loved one, divorce, or you yourself have something dark and painful coming your way that you either know about or don't know about this next year. Two things you need to cling to to find the smallest glimpse of happiness in these moments. First, what awaits you in the future? And second, the way God is caring for you now. You need to cling to the future God has for you. Revelation 21, he will wipe away every tear from your eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall be mourning or crying or pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Remember those former things that pass away and are no more are the things you're going through right now. It will pass away, it will be no more. God himself will be face to face with you and comfort you. You need to cling what God has for you in the future, but you also need to cling for how he cares for you in the here and now. Psalm 56, this is God's heart for you in this very moment. He says this to you. God himself has kept count of your tossings. He has put your tears in his bottle. They're in his book. This I know that God is for me. In God, whose word I praise, in the Lord, whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid what can man do to me. For you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now, this verse may not seem that happy on the surface, but anyone who's been through great suffering can tell you that sometimes it's not a solution to the suffering, it's not an end, but rather just knowing that someone's there and someone cares is what really matters. And this tells us that the God of the universe cares about you. Not in a generic sense, but in the sense that he's counted your tossings. He stores up your tears. He knows He's there, he cares. More than this, he's experienced it himself in and through Christ for you. All the tears that you have shed, he has counted one by one. You are here and you are experiencing these kind of deep sufferings and pains and sorrows. Cling to what awaits you in the future and cling to the way God cares for you now. Those are three practical examples of what it looks like to think on joyful things that we see in scripture. Last thing I promise, 
To be happy in 2024, dwell, think on joyful, happy things. The last way, read these verses with me. Psalm 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Delight, be happy in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. There's an inescapable reality in these verses and all over scripture, we've been talking about it all morning. You cannot experience the happiness God has to offer you without God. You can't take being with God, spending time with God out of the equation and still get his happiness. Why? It's not because that's the boxes that we need to, we need to, to check. It's because he refuses to let you use him like that and because he loves you too much to give that to you. We've been talking about it all morning. The happiness God offers is in him. The eternal happiness that you can feel is in God himself. It is in a relationship, a community, a a communing with God. Yes, you can experience happiness and joy in the things that he gives you, but ultimately those things will and can be stripped away from you. The one thing that cannot be stripped away from you, if you're in Christ, is that relationship you have with God. And so as you think about being happier in 2024, Realize it first starts with spending time with God. Some of the happiest people I know, despite their circumstances, no matter what they have going on, some of the happiest people I know are in their Bibles and in prayer the most, are communing with God the most. I've seen people walk through deaths of of loved ones, of walk through divorce, through betrayal and all the pain in the world, but do have some sense, some underlying state, condition, enduring happiness that is there because of the relationship they have with God. Again, it doesn't mean that they experience happiness more than they experience sorrow or despair in these moments, but underneath it all, it's there because God's there. So like Bland said, this this time of year, it's the time of Bible reading plans, prayer plans, find the one that works for you and work through it with a friend or or better than that, work through it with your community group. What would it look like for your community group to commit to a reading plan that works for your whole group and you hold each other accountable? Make extra time for prayer, extra time to think, to dwell on the happiness that God has to offer us and realize God wants you to be happy ultimately in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for the joy, the happiness, the gladness that you freely offer us, not in the form of health or wealth or things, but ultimately in the form of a relationship with you. God, I pray that we focus on that this year more than anything else, our relationship with you. I pray that we all um, grow in, attempt to enter into, attempt to walk alongside you with happiness and with joy. God, I pray, especially for those who are facing dark things this next year, things that they see and they know are coming, things that they have no idea are coming. And that God, that they navigate the, the, the pain and the sorrow, being rooted in you and your joy and your love and your happiness. 
and that they are comfort, comforted and um, happy, even if it's just an ounce in you, God. You know, you're praying, I see these things, amen.